0: Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Research, not to mention anecdotal observation, shows that a lot of narcissists end up in leadership positions. That's because the qualities narcissism enlarges into extremes like confidence, assertiveness, sense of destiny, help people rise to the top. Unfortunately, the same qualities of narcissism that help an individual obtain a leadership position can prevent them from being effective in that position and from holding onto it. My guest's research has uncovered what can be a solution to this dilemma, the timeless virtue of humility. His name is Brad Owens. He's a professor of business ethics. And we begin our conversation today by digging into the fact that studies done on the effect of narcissism on leadership have been inconsistent, with some showing to have a positive effect and others a negative one. Brad explains that the reason these studies may have been inconclusive is that while narcissism can get someone into a leadership role, it then gets in the way of them succeeding in that new role. We then turn to the idea that cultivating humility can temper the negative effects of narcissism, the three aspects of humility every leader, whether narcissistic or not, should cultivate. We then discuss whether there are situations where you do want to be more narcissistic than humble, what a humble, narcissistic leader looks like, and how Steve Jobs and George Washington serve as examples of this combination of qualities. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash humble narcissist. Brad joins me now via clearcast.io. All right, Brad Owens, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. Great to be here. So you are a professor of business ethics, and one of your areas of focus with your research is the intersection of humility and narcissism in leadership. What led you down that path of research?
1: Well, one of the reasons my colleagues Angela Wallace, David Walden, and I decided to do this research is that the research on leader narcissism has actually been really inconclusive. Narcissism is generally unpleasant and off-putting, In our personal relationships, it's almost almost always leads to poor outcomes, but in organizational leadership, it's less clear. The data is all over the place. So is narcissism good for leadership? That's a a question that's been hotly debated and the data hasn't provided a lot of clarity. In some studies, it's decidedly negative and others, it's, it's actually positive. And so we wondered, why is this? Why is narcissism effective for leadership in some instances and ineffective in others? And when you have these wide swings, usually there's another piece to the puzzle that isn't being measured, which is influencing these relationships, third variable or moderator that's not being accounted for, that's impacting things. And our team wondered if examining the impact of humility might explain these inconsistent findings. So uh, adding clarity to this leader narcissism literature is one reason we decided to do the study, but a deeper reason that may hit closer to home that's a bit more personal is the pairing of humility and narcissism represents the classic internal battle that not just leaders but most of us grapple with kind of like the two wolves fighting within each of us from that the native american tale and so immanuel kant calls self-worship which is closely tied to narcissism the root of all vice religious thinkers consider excessive pride as it relates to narcissism to also be a universal sin for instance So, in contrast, humility has been held up as a foundational virtue that enables all the others. It's been called the mother virtue that gives life to the other virtues. So, because humility entails seeking value beyond the self, it directly counteracts Kant's idea of the root of all vice, which is self-worship. So if there's one message that's consistently been given by past philosophers, historians and luminaries, it's that humans get trapped in hubris, narcissism, overconfidence, excessive pride. And at the heart of most religions and many secular efforts like moral philosophy that seek to encourage virtue and moral character, humility can be f- found as a core principle. And so we hope to provide insight about this internal battle we face between narcissism and humility and all good research, I believe, also entails some me-search where you look inside and you kind of see how this research can apply and inform, you know, your own challenges, state of mind, and, and being. And, and so, we hope that, that that this research also could provide some of that insight as we all seek to grapple with this
0: humility and, and narcissism w- within each of us, so. You said earlier narcissism, the research on leadership and narcissism and humility, it's kind of fuzzy. And as you mentioned, there's we typically associate narcissism with negative attributes. Yeah. But you also in your research have highlighted there's, you know, narcissism is actually a lot more complex than just bad. There's some, you know, positive things about it as well. So for research purposes, like how are you defining narcissism? Because I think a lot of times in the popular culture, we throw that word around a lot. And it doesn't mean the same thing as a psychologist or a researcher means it
1: yeah and you're absolutely right there's a lot of fuzziness around the word narcissism in our research we used the definition from ames rose and anderson and they suggest narcissism as a complex of characteristics that entails things like an excessively self-centered perspective self-absorption extreme confidence or sense of superiority it also can entail a strong drive to lead and and to succeed like very very strong ambition and so I think it's important to make it clear that what we're talking about in our research is what's called subclinical narcissism. It's a less severe form of narcissism which is probably more malleable. It grows or shrinks based on our experiences and choices. And so we, we all need some kind of ego-based tendencies, a measure of self-confidence, self-esteem, drive for accomplishment. But the question is how much and and how do we know when they've gotten out of balance? Narcissism represents this condition where those self-based tendencies have have kind of gone to an extreme. And so, we felt that humility, which is cast as a virtue, that's the way people have talked about it, that guards against extremes, humility may help put the brakes on some of these ego-based tendencies and prevent them from going to extreme. Uh, To get to your question about positive and negative outcomes, I'd say that normally narcissism leads to poor outcomes, professionally and relationally. And so, again, represents those healthy self-preservation and ego-based tendencies uh, that have kind of gone berserk or gone too far. But there have been some scholars who suggested that narcissists
0: can sometimes produce great things. Narcissism is complex. There can be positive outcomes in some situations. Are there any examples from your research of CEOs that were we could describe as narcissists who had a, a positive impact on their organization? So the the CEO that we kind of used when we started this research
1: was Steve Jobs. And so, Steve Jobs' first kind of stint as the head of Apple, he was definitely very talented, very innovative, uh, intelligent, but he also was really toxic, really hard to work with, very difficult to trust, and he was doing a lot of things that uh, caused individuals to want to leave Apple. And so, He eventually was was ousted and had nothing to do with Apple for, I believe it was 11 11 years. And then he was invited back and he still was Steve Jobs. He still had a high level of narcissism, but that narcissism seemed to be tempered by a measure of humility. Steve Jobs called his first firing from Apple, quote, bad tasting medicine that the patient probably needed. He was more apt to listen to other people's ideas and to give credit to the really talented people uh, that were making Apple into the most valuable company in the world at the time. And so to to us, that's an example of someone who certainly was not able to shed all their narcissism, but by combining it with a measure of humility, they were able to produce a lot of value
0: and maybe reduce a lot of the toxicity of of, uh, some of their narcissistic tendencies. So it sounds like people who are narcissists, they tend to end up being leaders because they've got that, they got a, a lot of self-confidence, that drive to to lead, they're ambitious, et cetera. But those things that got them in positions of leadership can sometimes bite them in the butt, like Steve Jobs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The research is is pretty clear that narcissism is positively related to leadership emergence and those who put themselves on a path to lead in large organizations usually feel that they're destined for, for greatness. And so first impressions of narcissists can be quite positive. They initially can seem quite charming, charismatic, confident, and leader-like. However, over time, sometimes this, this charm can can wear off. The true colors are shown and people can become disillusioned as they see more clearly that the charm or the charisma is actually more motivated by self-aggrandizement or or desire for praise. But as these leaders gain power and and success accumulates, these self-beliefs are reinforced. And uh, so that success and power can be. However, there are some who do wake up to an awareness of their kind of ballooning narcissism. There's a book by, I think, Michael Goldman that says, what got you here won't get you there. And I read a Harvard Business Review article about the twice-born leader. You know, these ones that wake up and they realize that the the very characteristics that got them into leadership positions are the very characteristics that are causing them to lose their following, lose trust with people, and burn bridges. Unless they're tempered, so there's something more that leaders need, and we, we believe at least some of. The answer is is humility to help temper again some of the more toxic aspects of narcissism, help them better leverage the more productive components of narcissism.
0: Well, and as you highlight in your research, thanks to you know scandals in the world of business and government, I'm thinking like Enron was a big one that drove, started of the driving, particularly in popular business books and in research, there's been a call amongst leadership experts to develop more humility. But like narcissism, like humility is also a fuzzy word, a fuzzy concept. So, when you're doing your research about humility, what do you mean by humility?
1: Yeah. So, we view humility in three dimensions self awareness, teachability, and an appreciation of others' strengths and contributions. In other words, humility influences how we see ourselves more accurately, others more appreciatively, and new information more openly. And so these th- three dimensions were the result of compiling and synthesizing a large literature from the past both philosophical and psychological and also from our interviews with organizational leaders where we we interviewed CEOs, mid-level managers, army officers and asked them, you know, what does leader humility look like? Can you tell us stories about uh, episodes where a leader showed humility and, and kind of synthesizing all that data to boil down to these three dimensions. All right, so what were those three dimensions again?
0: Recap. So it's uh, self awareness, okay, teachability, and appreciation of other strengths and contributions. And so, what what does this look like in action? Like, what are some leaders that exemplify these three? Or maybe yeah. one of I mean, well, here's a question: Do you need all three to be humble, or can you have like one or two? What is what is that? What about that? That's a great
1: question. They they actually tend to reinforce one another. So, if someone is becoming more self-aware, kind of the, the limits that they may have, uh, things that they don't yet know, then they're more likely to be teachable or open to, to new ideas and feedback. So, I think one of the best ways to illustrate what does humility look like, I'm remembering a story. We interviewed some leaders right after the housing crisis, the kind of the mortgage meltdown, we went into mortgage banking companies and we interviewed those leaders. This was an industry that you could say had been humbled. It was kind of a stigmatized industry. And, and in the wake of all this, there was a leader that, that shared the story that they were in a boardroom, they were trying to figure out how to help their organization survive. And this leader said, look, no, I've been a hard charging kind of a leader barking orders, but... I need everybody's best ideas. I need, we need to see from everybody's eyes in order to figure this out. And so I need you to tell me to shut up once in a while and just let us hash out ideas and let everybody give their perspectives because I'm, I'm just not good at that. I'm not good at, at, at listening like I should be. So I give you all permission to interrupt me and to tell me to just be quiet and, and let us kind of figure this out all together. So that was an example of, of a leader who, who showed self-awareness, where they saw something that they were weak at, where they showed teachability and, and asking for everybody's ideas and, and validating everybody's perspectives and saying, we need everybody to weigh in here in order to figure this out. Other examples, you know, that we compiled through these interviews were admitting when you're wrong, owning bouts of overconfidence, owning up to mistakes, asking for honest and even brutal feedback, being open to suggestions, giving credit where credit's due, and and even being generous and crediting your people for success, even when you had a hand in it. So again, these examples kind of reflect those three dimensions I just uh, talked about.
0: But it sounds like uh, self-awareness is sort of like the, the first step, like a, a narcissistic leader has to be aware that they are a narcissist and they need more humility. And so for narcissistic leaders, like, how does that happen usually? Do they have to get fired oust from the company like Steve Jobs, or can there be more subtle ways to self-awareness? Yeah. So it seemed like there were two paths. And in these interviews, many leaders would talk
1: about their own journeys in overcoming narcissism. That there was many who, when they first got in their leadership role, they felt like kind of a saucy youngster who had to prove themselves. And and they made a lot of mistakes and, and tried to project this kind of omniscient or or all wise posture almost. But then as they showed their, their fallibility and as that, that type of leadership just wasn't working for them, some of them just kind of woke up to the fact that this is not working. It's hurting my relationships. It's making me less effective. And then they, they searched. For exemplars or, or other ways of leading uh, that often led to to things like humility. So that that's one path people take to to overcome narcissism or make adjustments in their leadership. Another path is kind of like Steve Jobs. Some significant reversal happened, uh, whether it was a firing or another kind of big failure, and that caused them to kind of be jolted from their their frame of mind and and their way of leading, and that helped them to to, again,
0: try and seek to make changes. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And now back to the show. Well, and being a humble leader is a tricky thing because on the one hand, okay, people want a humble leader, that's research shows, but they also want a leader that's competent and confident. Yeah. So are there instances where being trying to be humble... Can actually backfire and make your the people you're leading like respect you less because you're you're admitting your faults. Like I'm just a dumb. I'm like I know nothing. <laughs> Please help me. And they're like, ah, okay, this is actually we're doomed. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, you know there
1: are instances I believe when when humility is not effective for for leadership, and it's it's surprising. We've done some research in the military and uh, interviewing West Point. Train military officers who've been deployed a few times, and we ask them, "When is humility less effective, and and when does it just not work at all?" And it surprised us how few those circumstances were. Actually, there are times when, uh, based on the interviews we've done, where time is very short and survival is is really what the organization or your group of soldiers needs to focus on, and and to initiate. Humility in a leadership process often takes time. And so before a mission, when you're preparing for it, and then after a mission in a military context, as you're doing your action review, humility is a great idea. But when the bullets are flying, that's the time when you need to do everything as a leader to create order out of chaos to give directives to shout and even and swear and, and and do everything to get your soldiers over the hill in order to to save their lives. And so there's a lot of dramatized leadership scenarios where you know in the movies and and shows where humility just would not be a, a good idea, but these military officers were huge advocates of humility and how it was needed, We need, that they needed to figure out a way to teach the cadets, the younger soldiers and leaders, how to embrace more humility, lessons that they'd learned through hard experience. And so, actually, in the last few months, the Army changed their core leadership doctrine to include humility as a fundamental characteristic that they want in military leadership. And so they're, they're looking for something to kind of counterbalance the more, uh, you could say agentic top-down authoritative leadership
0: and, and humility they see is, is part of the answer. All right. So sum up most times you want to be humble, but when there's a crisis going on, so if there's lives on the line, or if there's a business, you're in a business and there's like a crisis and yeah. decisions have to be made, that's when you'd want a more, I don't know, assertive narcissistic leader, not, not the humility, but most time the default should be humility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay. The, so the self-awareness being teachable, and that means just that like that one example you gave, that means the leader say, going to the people that he leads and saying, teach me, like, tell me what to do. Like, how do you, like, what does that look like without it being like condescending or, you know, it's, you know, people take it the wrong way so i think that when the leader actually does
1: have more experience than everyone else and when the leader has been has training that everyone else doesn't have and it's obvious that that leader's perspective is probably the most valuable then i think that people kind of sense that and and for the leader to be overtly or overly teachable in that moment people might feel that that's kind of just wasting time but in many scenarios, there is quite a bit of uncertainty and they're not we're dealing with probabilities again rather than than certainties. And I think in in those situations, then it makes a lot of sense for a leader to admit and say, look, I, I have some ideas about what what may happen and, and, and which way we should go, but let's let's all of us kind of consider this and, and, and put it together. There was one example uh, that was shared from, again, these West Point leader interviews where this captain was uh, deployed. He got his first day in Afghanistan. The leader at the base where he was at said, we've just received intel that this base is going to be attacked from two different angles and it's going to involve suicide uh, attacks as well. The leader basically gave it to him and said, you just got out of West Point. You have great tactical training. Why don't you go ahead and put the plan together to, you know, save the base tomorrow? And so this leader said, you know, I could have kind of touted my West Point training and pretended that I knew exactly what to do. But instead, he brought everyone in the room and he said, look, you know, this base, you know, the geography around it, you know, the enemy better than I do we need everyone to put their heads together to put together a strategy that's going to make it most likely for us to you know save as many lives as possible and and to succeed tomorrow so they worked through the night uh he was very open to everyone's uh, uh ideas and feedback and they cobbled together last minute a defensive strategy that was a wild success very few injuries i don't think there were any casualties and he credits it to that, that position he took, you know, in the moment he was tempted to, to not be teachable, but he said that because he was teachable and got everybody's input and perspective, that it was the resounding success that it couldn't have been otherwise.
0: Well, I was going to say in what your research has shown too, is that, that uh, the quality of teachability from a leader, it rubs off, it goes like it rubs off on the people they lead. Like when people see that, Oh, this guy, who's you know, supposedly made it, he's continuing to learn. Maybe I should do that too, which that's great for the organization if everyone's continually learning and adapting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Humility is like many leadership characteristics. When a leader sends the signals, what's appropriate in an otherwise ambiguous social context, what the leader does legitimizes that behavior. And so if a leader is narcissistic, it legitimizes narcissism in an organization. But if they're humble, then others feel free to to be more open to teaching and development rather than status-seeking or hiding what they don't know. And so, this leader contagion effect, uh, I think, is we we found empirically both in the field and in experimental studies, it can be very powerful. So, leaders understanding that how they choose to lead will influence and cascade down the organization. And so, when we asked these uh, CEOs and other leaders, like, what does humility do psychologically for followers? The answer was that it, it legitimizes the followers' own developmental journeys. And that liberates them from what's called evaluation apprehension. There's all kinds of positive, productive benefits uh, when the leader chooses to trade a little bit of their status, a little bit of their power in order to legitimize
0: learning and development for everyone. Well, that third aspect of humility is recognizing the contributions of those you lead or the, those that follow you. Yeah. And that that often involves giving praise, and I think a lot of leaders they they read those in like the, the airport you know business books that they read. They pick up the, the store, like, oh yeah, I need to give praise, and so they you know give praise, but that can backfire too because people can they can sniff out if it's sincere or not, right. Yeah, I think that there is an art to to giving praise in
1: a way that it'll be authentic and and sincere and and even powerful. It's one of the most powerful things a leader can do is to sincerely praise the people that, that they're leading. And I think that two things to remember is that the the praise has to be specific very general praise can communicate this idea that the leader just doesn't really know what i do or what i contribute so i think it has to be specific and then related to that it has to be accurate it can really backfire if you praise someone for doing something that they didn't they didn't do and and it is true that uh, someone may receive praise and kind of think am i really Uh, adding that to this organization. We do have both positive and negative blind spots. And I think a good leader is one tries to uh, help everyone understand more fully to own and to leverage the strengths that they have that they may themselves not fully see. But when employees hear specific and accurate
0: feedback, they feel known and understood and appreciated. So a person who's narcissistic, they tend to emerge as leaders because those attributes of narcissism that you're talking about help people like they're confident, they're assertive, they're ambitious, et cetera. Yeah. Eventually that can backfire if they don't temper it with humility. So what does like a humble narcissistic leader look like? Like what, what do you, what do you think? How would you describe that? So, I think a a humble narcissistic leader,
1: if you you kind of see a continuum of kind of these self-based or kind of ego-based tendencies, and in some degree, I think I've mentioned that they they are healthy, self-esteem, self-confidence, some measure of self-interest. A humble narcissistic leader is one who is inclined to have too much of that, but they are Transparent about it. They're they're working on it. They're kind of a, a recovering narcissist, so to speak. they trying to embrace kind of some of these habits of humility, these approaches to help counter this in, internal inclination. And so, you know, some some levels of narcissism just are very hard to change. There's actually some research by David Chester. And his colleagues, where they found that there's neural deficits for narcissists that they're actually hardwired differently. And that the the reward centers of the brain and the kind of the self-evaluative centers of the brain are more disconnected than they are for, for normal people, meaning it's harder for narcissists to feel good about themselves. And so they seek external validation. And so for those individuals, I don't know if if there's a, a, a lot of room to to move the needle. But for most of the rest of us who have both narcissism, narcissistic tendencies, as well as, uh, and we see the value of humility, we can make choices in order to surround ourselves with people who will keep us grounded, who won't enable narcissism, but instead may may, may challenge it. We can be constantly seeking feedback. We can be overtly trying to, to give credit to other people. Even if internally, initially, we don't feel that we're, that comes natural to us so from the leaders that, that I've talked to and that we've documented their, their stories, that, that it does get easier. They see the benefits of humility. And I'm thinking back to even Aristotle, when he talked about what are virtues like humility, what, what is the nature of them? He viewed those more as skills that we choose to develop, moral muscles that, that we choose to grow rather than innate characteristics that we have. So, so your your question about what does a humble narcissist look like? It's one who's embraced this idea that the all the possible virtues that we could develop, like humility, are are like muscles that we can choose to develop. And even if I'm inclined to be narcissistic, I embrace humility and and try to practice it in order to stave off the most the more toxic aspects of of that narcissism.
0: So you you mentioned Steve Jobs as sort of a paradigm of someone who is a narcissist and eventually was able to temper it a bit. Yeah. Not completely, a bit with some humility. Any other examples of, you know, humble narcissistic leaders from, could be even like the realm of politics, you know, ain't yeah. history. I mean, any other that stand out to you? So there's one that I think is
1: really interesting. If you look at, like, for instance, this is a historical example, but the life of George Washington, young George Washington, he was obsessed with with becoming prominent. And in his youthful and outsized ambition, he made some foolish blunders that, that were setbacks for him in, at the time, the British military. He thought a lot about his legacy, but he also was one that was aware of it, and he learned from his blunders, and he really tried to, to improve himself and overcome some of his natural inclinations that were unfavorable. And over time he he became someone who was a, a very polished person a very effective leader and so that's an example of someone who again deep in his bones he he really wanted to to make a mark on the world and and that's he really cared about what history would say about him but at the same time he really embraced many aspects of humility and one of my favorite kind of stories about George Washington is when king george whom george Washington had just beaten in war, heard that Washington's plan was to give all uh, military power back to Congress, rather than keeping it for himself, like Napoleon and, and other and many other leaders who were in a similar position. When King George heard that Washington intended to do that, he said, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. And so, I think it's in- interesting that George Washington, his leadership uh, prowess uh, and military expertise that beat King George in war was not what made him the greatest man in the world. It was actually this kind of this act of humility of giving power back to Congress that actually completed George Washington as being this, this humble leader who also was, was, had gained a great amount of power and respect. So I think as, as far as humble narcissists, I think that
0: George Washington may reflect that combination. That's a good one. All right, so we talked about people who are narcissists that who are leaders. They can temper that narcissism with humility. What about people who are just like just humble, like they're just easygoing? They're not narcissistic. To be effective leaders, should they learn to be a bit more narcissistic? Has your research looked into that? So um, we haven't directly looked into that, but, but uh, what I would say is I don't think it's
1: narcissism is what. Uh, overtly humble people need. And again, along that spectrum of those self-preservation or self uh, or ego-based tendencies, that I mentioned, there's a healthy level of self-confidence and desire to lead and wanting to achieve greatly. But that doesn't necessarily devolve into full-on narcissism, which is, I, I think, extreme and in most cases toxic. But you make a good point that sometimes people who are humble need to assert themselves more. They need to exhibit more strength and confidence. And so, I'd recommend cultivating greater awareness of one's strengths through either feedback, coaching, or introspection, and then working to more fully own those strengths and practice leveraging them more frequently and effectively in in one's role. And also, if you're in a new role, I think it's really important, and we've found this over and over, that if you're a brand new leader, establishing some baseline reputation for competence is really important for subsequent kind of expressions of humility to be seen favorably. The leadership scholars call this idiosyncrasy credits. You kind of have to build equity with people. Like, why should we follow you? You have to kind of fulfill their expectations for what it means to be leader-like. And then once you've done that, expressions of humility are actually seen as pro-social, as moral attempts to kind of give praise and, and to be a moral good leader if you don't have that baseline reputation for competence then expressions of humility actually can hurt you and hurt your your leadership so it's called primacy effects you have to the first impression really does does matter but uh, once that's established then you have some freedom to approach your leadership with more humility All Right, I need street cred first yeah, that's it. Street cred. Yeah, street cred.
0: <laughs> well, what's the uh, the future of this research? Do you have any other like questions you want to explore with this intersection of narcissism, humility, or even just the topic of humility and leadership? Yeah, we, we have a paper under review that looks more at the neurology behind
1: narcissism. And uh, so we're trying to get a bit more physiological about this. And we are seeing some interesting differences between brains that are inclined to be more narcissistic and those that are inclined to be more humble and so i think that's an important piece also just looking at whether or not humility and the effects of humility last over the long term meaning a leader shows humility in one instance how long does it does that effect take to wear off how long does the contagion leader to follower contagion effect take so there's also a lot that needs to be done with regard to training and developing humility and so i think that's that's kind of where we're headed we do some leadership training and speaking, but we want to, we're in the process of of getting some grants in order to, to to take a careful look at how to incorporate humility or help someone to embrace it and and use it effectively over the
0: long term. Well, Brad, this has been a great conversation. Is there some place people can go to read the research you've done or check out what you've been doing? Yeah. So I think
1: one of the best places to look is. There's, there's articles on Google Scholar that, that you can look at, uh, look, Leader Humility and Owens. Uh, you can also just look at, I have a, a CV that has a list of all of the articles that have been published in the popular press uh, with regard to this Harvard Business Review, Inc Magazine, Huffington, Washington Post. And so those are some areas that, that, that people can go to to, to get, get more and, and deeper insight about
0: what we've been up to. Fantastic. We'll also link to those in our show notes. Well, Brad Owens, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My guest today was Brad Owens. He's a professor of business ethics at BYU Marriott School of Business. You can find all of his research on humility, narcissism, and leadership on Google Scholar. We've included a list of links to all of his research on our show notes. Make sure to check it out at aom.is slash humble narcissist. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS, and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review an Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family. Member who you'd think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you all only listen to the Win Podcast, but put what you've heard into action.